0: rational thought is no good without emotions um, they are they are there to help us to decide what to do you know from whether we should run or approach um, or to even really minor things like you know where to put that piece of paper believe it or not emotions are involved in that and so both dogs and people as these highly social individuals we we have to be able to express our emotional states, to be able to communicate, to be able to manage living in this complex society.
1: Welcome to Unleashed. I'm Colleen Pilar, a dog trainer fascinated by people. Dogs bring out the best in us. Your dog thinks you're awesome because you are kind, thoughtful, generous, generous, Playful? In each episode of Unleashed, I'll choose one behavior trait that dogs and people share and interview a fascinating person to talk about how that trait appears in dogs and in people. Then we'll explore ways that you can more fully embody the trait so that you can show up at work and at home as the amazing person your dog knows you to be. Are you ready to be Unleashed? super excited today that my guest is Patricia McConnell, who, if you don't know her, you should, because she does everything. She's a zoologist, ethologist, dog trainer, farmer, and a sheep producer. So what do you do in your spare time, Tricia? Uh, I write books and... <laughs>
0: Let's see. I had a radio show for a long time. I taught at the university
1: for 25 years, and I listened to podcasts like this one. Well, that's so fantastic. You definitely uh, fill up your life with all of your interests, which is really cool. And today I wanted to talk to you about emotion and how... Um, Sharing emotion, expressing emotion, and responding to another's emotion is a really important part of the social connection between humans, and it's also really important in dog-to-dog interactions and, of course, dog-to-human interactions. So that's right up your alley because you are such an advocate for dogs and also really, really compassionate toward the people who love them.
0: They are my favorite species, I have to say, both both of them, dogs and people. Mm-hmm. You know, people ask me, what are your favorite species? It's like, dogs and people are absolutely at the top of the list. We are just a fascinating species. We are complicated and confusing, but we are always interesting.
1: Yes, very much so. And I, I think that the the big distinction between us and dogs is that we're interested in thinking about how we're so complicated and confusing, and dogs just kind of accept that they're complicated and confusing. They're like, yeah, that, that's me. We, we well, spend that, time and podcasting it. And,
0: I was just going to say that in the rolling and dead fish thing. You know, that's sort of, you know, different.
1: Yeah, I'm quite, I'm that quite grateful that, that that's not a <laughs> real common human trait.
0: Exactly.
1: So tell me a little bit about how you see dogs uh, conveying emotion and responding to each other's emotion.
0: Oh, it's such an important part of uh, any species that is so social, you know, and I think one of the reasons that dogs and people get along so well is that we are profoundly social. I mean, we're some of the most social animals on earth. And when you're that social, you have to be able to read other individuals and communicate your internal state, because that's a good predictor of what you're about to do, and so if you look at highly social animals, they're very expressive, and dogs and people's faces are extremely expressive. I have photographs in, in my book on emotions um, in people and dogs called For the Love of a Dog. I've got pictures of people with a happy face and a dog with a happy face, and if you look at them, it's like, oh my goodness, mm-hmm. <laughs> they they made the change. Same changes in their face. You know, if you take away the fur and the the nose thing, you know, it's pretty much exactly like a human face. So, so emotions are, you know, they've gotten a bad rap for all these years, but they're they're basically the brain's way of helping you decide to do something. You can't rational thought is no good without emotions. Um, they are. They are there to help us to decide what to do, you know, from whether we should run or approach um, or to even really minor things like, you know, where to put that piece of paper. Believe it or not, emotions are involved in that. And so both dogs and people as these highly social individuals, we, we have to be able to express our emotional states to be able to communicate, to be able to manage living in this complex society.
1: I think that's really, yeah, absolutely. It's really well put. And your point about how expressive dogs are is really interesting too. I often take photos of dogs. I I use like one of those dog a day calendars so that they have nice big color, (laughs) fancy photos and take them to schools. And then I have kids practice making the faces on their card and then say, well, how do you think the dog feels? And if you make the same face as the dog is making, odds are really good that you're going to know the emotion the dog is having because it's very much like how we would feel if we were, you know, clenched teeth and pulling away and, you know, wide-eyed or whatever. And it's, it's an interesting experiment because I think people aren't always that good at reading dogs' emotions, but dogs are amazing at reading ours. Oh, that's so true, and I love, I love what you do with the kids. That's
0: brilliant. That's just such a great idea, and you are absolutely right that we are not always very good at reading dogs' emotions. You know, I'm sure you know about Dr. Juan. Michelle Juan did work on showing very short videos of um, dogs in different contexts doing different things to a whole range of people, from people who sort of never had a dog to people who were PhD animal behaviorists, um, and and not... Not surprisingly, the more experience people had with dogs, the better they were reading, looking at signs of stress, for example. But, but what was sad in a way and confirms my experience and that of a lot a lot of other behaviors and trainers is that people are, in general, very bad at reading, especially signs of fear in dogs. Mm-hmm. So much of what's considered to be labeled, as you well know, Colleen, is labeled as disobedience. Is actually a dog is like, I can't go over there because I'm afraid to. Yeah. Um, Or I don't want to do that because it hurts to do that. You know, there's so much that dogs are trying to tell us that often doesn't get read. And I know colleagues and I have talked. I don't know how many times we've said if we could do one thing in the whole world to improve relationships between people and dogs, it would be to help people read dogs better, to better understand relatively subtle signs of fear and discomfort and and stress.
1: Do you think we're good at reading that in other humans?
0: That's a good question. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I think, you know, I'm sure there's research out there. The research I know that that um, relates to that is that I know we are much more likely to make negative attributions mm-hmm. um, toward, on, I don't know what the right preposition is, people we don't know. So mm-hmm. so you're at a checkout line, right? And somebody's rude to the cashier. If it's somebody you know, it's like, oh, poor Martha, she's having a bad day. Mm-hmm. If it's somebody you don't know, we tend to think that is a bad person. Yeah. You know, um, and and so I'll, you know, I think we all know some people who are a lot better than others at reading human faces. I, I I, am curious if you've had the same experience. I am so much better at reading human faces now that I've had to learn to read faces of dogs because if I didn't read them and, and find my way through very subtle signals and changes in a dog's facial expression or posture, I would get bitten because mm-hmm. I've worked with aggressive dogs for all these years. And so it's, it's a great learning curve, right? Yes. And I got way better at reading the faces of people after I started working with dogs. Did you find the same thing?
1: I did. And I also got better at reading what they weren't telling me, you know, like seeing that there was yeah. something uh. more that they weren't comfortable sharing. And I wouldn't always know what that was, but I would know that there was more. And that was really interesting to me because, you know, a, a well-crafted follow-up question can sometimes get this whole torrent of a story that you never dreamed was in there. And I think that's a little bit true about how we're we're really quick to ascribe motives or activities or stories to other people's behavior. But mm-hmm. there's a lot going on under the surface that we don't know or see. And Mm -hmm. people do hold it back because, again, I think it's fear. We're fear of being judged or fear of um, someone telling us that we were bad or wrong or stupid or mean or whatever. You know, that there's a lot of, I think fear plays a huge role in our conversations with other people.
0: Oh, I think, you're. I mean, there's lots of research on that. You are absolutely right. You know, there's no question. I was actually just listening again to Brene Brown's, some of her TED Talks about mm-hmm. vulnerability and shame and fear and how fear drives so much of us. And I wish, you know, if I was queen somehow, I wish people would understand how much fear not just drives us, but also drives dog behavior. Because so much, quote, aggression is because dogs are terrified. Yeah. You know, they're they're afraid and they're fearful and they what else are they going to do? You know, they can't they're helpless and you know, often um they're on a leash or they're trapped in a room and um they can't hire a lawyer. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> they can't write a letter to the editor. I mean, they don't have that many ways to try and protect themselves or or um figure out a way to feel safe and and secure. And so, yeah, I just I Shows like this are so helpful, Colleen, because I think it helps spread the word is that we need to be remembering this is not about dominance. This is about animals who need, just like us, to feel safe and secure and want to live in harmonious social relationships as Mm -hmm. much as they possibly can. Yes,
1: in your book, For a Love of a Dog, you quoted Temple Grandin, who is another genius, um, and she yes, said... Well,
0: another. Thank you, but she <laughs> is
1: a genius for sure. <laughs> she said, fear is so bad for animals, I think it's worse than pain. And that really struck me because, of course, uh, our brain can register fear in, in pain centers, but just the whole concept of, you know, would you rather I hurt you or would you rather be afraid of something... Most of us would choose the pain, you know, like if the the certainty of pain versus the uncertainty of fear, that is very, very uncomfortable for us. And I think Brene Brown's work talks about that a lot, the whole aspect of uncertainty and discomfort within ourselves and within our relationships
0: yeah, exactly. Absolutely true. You know, especially fear of losing connection mm-hmm. and losing social relationships and you know, what are dogs about about but being connected to us? I mean they are they are hyper social, as we are. You know, the worst thing you can do to a person is to put them in solitary confinement. Yeah. Um and um you know, And dogs, too, I think, have this profound drive to be connected and want to be connected with us. And you know, when they're afraid of us at the same time, it could be so hard on them. So, yeah, there's a lot there um, in terms of the emotional life of people and dogs being very similar, isn't there? Yeah.
1: It's interesting because we we like to think of ourselves as more highly evolved, and, of course, we are in, in many ways, but so much of our behavior is really driven by the part of the brain that we share with other uh, mammals. It's mm-hmm. not we're not as rational as we think we are.
0: Yeah, that research on on the fact that most of our decisions are made unconsciously, subconsciously mm-hmm. and then our rational conscious thoughts are actually after the fact. Yeah, <laughs> to we just... come up with a reason for the why why we did it. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty it's it's, it's um it, that's that's amazing information. <laughs> you know, it we, is. We're so proud of our rational selves, aren't we? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But uh, there's a lot going on underneath that that we're not even aware of.
1: It's a little discomforting at times to, to think like, <laughs> "Oh, I'm you know so smart. I'm making wise decisions. I'm you know evolved and educated, and I you know I'm in control of my life." And then you see. Oh, wait, no. I'm just responding to all of the stimuli in my environment and doing what I was being set up to do.
0: Yeah, no kidding. I was just actually reading a a book this morning. Oh, and I can't remember the author's name. It's terrible. Her first name is Jay. The book is Wild, but it's not the Wild. It's not the memoir about the Pacific Coast Trail. It's not the movie Wild. It's Wild by Jay Green something, basically. She, she spent a tremendous amount of time out in nature completely by herself or with um, hunter-gatherer tribes and societies. And, and the reason I bring it up is because she talks about a kind of a knowledge that we've lost because we put so much attention onto our cognitive, rational mm-hmm. part of ourselves and that that's the only good part of ourselves and that's the special part and... and, and I've always thought that, at least lately, I think part of why we love dogs so much is that we know they have that other part of them that is a bigger part of them, that is not as squelched as it is in us. Mm-hmm. You know, they're like our connection, you know, with... dogs allow us to feel special, but not alone, you know, we're really different. Oh, I doing love it. that. Yeah, thank you, thank you. Thank um, you they sort of connect us to that that other place that I think we all have in us, but we don't tap into anymore, you know? I mean, I spend a lot of time outside, but I don't spend six months living on the land, Mm -hmm. you know, drinking water out of a stream. (laughs) 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 No.
1: (laughs) Yeah, nor do I.
0: Nor do most of us, you know. Um, Yeah, but, but, yeah, there's just, you know, we're just so lucky, I think, to have dogs enrich our emotional lives because I think the way they perceive the world is the same, you know, glass half full, half empty, right? Mm -hmm. It's the same as us in some ways, but it's also so profoundly different than us. And it's just, you know, sort of allows us to live in both worlds a tiny bit.
1: Yes. Yeah. And that's true. It's, It's an interesting thing because I, I always say that dogs are like the ultimate mindfulness teachers because they're so <laughs> in the moment and they yes. make us laugh every day. and They they just bring us back from all of the thoughts swirling in our heads to, you know, what's going on right here, right now. And that whole concept of of really being in tune with that and honoring that part of ourselves that we have too, but we push aside. I think dogs mm-hmm. revel in that. They're like, This is my stick. It's amazing. Look at this stick. (laughs) Exactly. It's all about the stick. It is. I know. It's all about the stick. Oh, I agree. It's so true. So what do you think the benefits would be for people in having a little bit better understanding of our own, you know, emotions and, and the biases that they set us up for, both in our relationships with dogs and with other people?
0: Oh, that's a big question. It um, is. You
1: have you have well, a lifetime to answer it, or two minutes. Yeah. <laughs> so, so well, first
0: of all, just just looking at the hu- dog-human relationship, and looking at a really practical level, you know, the more we can understand our emotions as we're working with our dog, and and understand their emotions, I mean, just from the most practical standpoint, mm-hmm. our dogs will be more obedient. Because first of all, if we can start understanding that some of our responses to our dogs are not helpful. You know, people get angry. We we can get frustrated. We can get impatient. Um, You know, we're all human and I don't care who you are, but I'm sure there are some people out there who have never lost patience with their dog and have you know never, ever, ever been anything but perfect, but I don't know any of them and it's certainly not me. (laughs) It's certainly not me. Um, But the more I understand about how to influence behavior, the more I understand that getting sucked into sort of this emotional response to whether my dog does what I ask or not is completely unhelpful. Mm -hmm. Um, Susan Friedman is brilliant talking about operant conditioning and how, you know, if your dog doesn't do what you ask, you know, probably doesn't have much to do with you. So just you know, get get out of there, (laughs) Uh, you know, get your emotions out of there, get your little hurt feelings out of there, you know. Um, um. And it's very seductive for us to get in there. So I've found that to be incredibly helpful. Um, and then, of course, in terms of understanding that fear in a dog might be a little different than fear in a human, mm-hmm. but doesn't mean it's not more the same than not. You know, I mean. I don't think it's a glass half empty and half full. I think it's a glass ninety five percent full and you know five percent empty. Because fear is fear, and it's it's programmed in the brain the same way neurophysiologically. Everything changes inside a dog the way it changes inside us. Um, granted, we may have some layers of cognition and thoughts and and sort of predictions about the future that dogs don't have, but nonetheless, you know, the basics of fear, fear, and so being able to, there is a good side to being anthropomorphic. You know, we were taught, certainly as a scientist, I mean, I know you've had this laid on you too, colleagues. we must not be anthropomorphic. And mm-hmm. it's very, it's it's dangerous and it's wrong. And Franz DeWall, who is a brilliant primatologist and a great author, by the way, his books are phenomenal. Um, he writes about, the opposite of being anthropomorphic is anthro denial which is just as dangerous which is basically arguing that if a human can have it or do it or be it then an animal can't and a non-human right. animal can't and you know we've heard that over and over mm-hmm. again you know it's like well you know dogs can't possibly be jealous you know, humans, or only humans, could be jealous. Well, you know, jealousy has got to be one of the simplest emotions in the world. It's like, he's got it, I want it, and I don't have it, and I'm mad about it. I mean, it's mm-hmm. just not very complicated. <laughs> so, so that you know, there's been so much resistance to uh, attributing emotions and emotional states to animals. It's, it's the interesting philosophically, I'm sure a lot has been written about it, um, about why are we so resistant to attributing emotions in animals. It's still very controversial. We're we're not done with this conversation at all. I mean it is changing but but I mean when for the love of a dog came out I had people write me saying that you're an idiot. You don't you know I actually I actually had someone at a National Institute of Health conference stand up after my talk about emotions in humans and dogs. Stand up after my talk Ironically, shaking with anger and, and saying, how dare you talk about anger in dogs? That's being anthropomorphic in the worst possible way. You're setting people up to get injured and hurt. You're, you're demeaning dogs. You don't know what you're talking. I've never been publicly that malign <laughs> in my life. The audience was like stunned because um, I had said it's possible for a- dogs to be angry. And, and I think one her objections were one is you can't that that's a human emotion an animal couldn't be hung, angry which belies everything we know about the biology of anger mm-hmm. but it also goes against that fantasy that a lot of us have um is written about constantly as dogs being you know continually cheerful benign happy forgivers of everything right. you know um And you know the fact of the matter is, you and I both—we've seen dogs be angry, and we've seen dogs um, do some pretty nasty things. And it's very rare in dogs compared to people. But it's basically you can't have fear if you don't have anger, because they're almost like flip sides of the same coin. Mm -hmm. Um, So, so this resistance—I think—back to your, circling back to your first question, I think acknowledging that the emotional life of people and dogs is more the same and it's different is very, very important, but we need to always be mindful of what's different. You know, the whole guilt thing about dogs, we could talk about that, about attributing guilt in dogs when it's probably not there in many, many contexts, Yeah, is, you know, is the downside of making those attributions.
1: Yeah, it is interesting the, the traits we're willing to ascribe to them, like he's, you know, completely blowing me off and he's being stubborn or he's being guilty. And then we miss things that are so much more obvious. He's afraid of going out through that door. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you're like yeah. Huh, that's a, That was a really complex story you got instead of right. he's afraid. <laughs>
0: right. Right. Yes. Yes. He wants to be dominant. So, yeah. 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 So he, you know, he, he won't come when called or he won't do this or he won't do that. Or it it is, we do have, we do, I'm just thinking as we're talking. This is why I love talks like this. Now, on the one hand, we you know we talk about dogs as if they were cartoon characters who are always in a state of mm-hmm. bliss and love. You know, and look at all the things that have been written about dogs. You know, the best of man and none of the worst. And you know, we talk about we sort of worship dogs as this. this perfect vessel of love and loyalty Mm -hmm. and on the other hand in real life you're right is people's attributions to dogs are often the most negative they could possibly be with no basis behind that right (laughs) he's you know he's he's not doing it because he's stubborn rather than he's afraid to go outside my favorite i'm sure you've heard this a million times is he just has a mind of his own Mm -hmm. well you're
1: like well of course he's alive (laughs)
0: My, good answer it's like whose mind would he have otherwise <laughs> I don't want my dog to have my brain that would be just like oh that would
1: be so <laughs> <laughs> that would A whole house be full good. of Trish's <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, dear, dear, dear. Fun of me is enough. Thank you very much.
1: It is interesting how we do sort of ascribe dogs one personality trait and expect them to maintain it 100% of the time. And we're so very aware that we veer up and down and that other people ah. do too. We're We're totally clear on that. So we can have a bad day and know it's a bad day. But if you have a dog who's friendly, you expect that dog to be friendly all the time, no matter what. And it's just not realistic.
0: That is such a good point. I'm, oh, would you just say that over and over again, 10 times, please? Because (laughs) because it's just, it's such an insightful and important point. I mean, how many times have I been asked, and you too? my dog, my dog chased and and bit or killed a squirrel in the backyard. Mm -hmm. And now I'm i 'm afraid he 's going to attack my children mm-hmm. you know um, or or the sort of the opposite with what you were talking about is i can 't understand why he bit that child he 's always been the best most wonderful fantastic dog you know he just loves everybody and you know we were at the picnic and he was so wonderful and there we were we were you know it was really hot and we were there seven hours and the kids were all over him and they were all over him for six hours and 55 minutes and you know and 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 I know he didn't have any water and it was really noisy But, you know, I just, I'm shocked that he became this aggressive dog. Yeah, like the dog was exhausted and stressed (laughs) and finally lost his temper, you know. And they can't yell dirty words at us. No. Which is really good on the one hand. Because (laughs) I I do think, I really do think, if dogs could talk, I don't think we'd always like (laughs) what (laughs) they have to say. Does, do your dogs, my, all of my, not all of my dogs, that's not true, my border collies, every one of them has had a look at one time in their life, at least, on their face that I swear I cannot <laughs> say on the radio in translation or on a podcast in translation. Um, it's two words, and the second one is you. We'll just leave it with that, you know. And and am I you know? Do I know really how they're feeling inside? But I'll tell you, the message was so strong. My Cavalier has never looked like that in her life. So, so they can't yell nasty things to us, you know. But and so, what are they going to do? I mean, we have to be able to. To be their translator and their protectors and their mentors and their spokespeople and their advocates because they can't say, "I'm exhausted, get me out of here." You know, there's there's been a par- there's been the New Year's Eve party has been going on for seven hours and I just need a break. Mm-hmm.
1: You know? Absolutely, you we went and hid from Uncle Harry for heaven's sake. Yeah, know? You
0: know? yeah.
1: And then sometimes on the human side, we we don't take those breaks when we should because we have that concept of I should, you know, I should do this (sighs) or I should do that. And then our behavior starts to deteriorate too because we're not taking into account the emotional drain of all of this because we're, we're laboring under either our own or someone else's expectations of how we should be behaving. Oh, that's
0: such a good point. I think we get ourselves in a lot of trouble not giving ourselves permission to feel the way we feel, mm-hmm. you know, um, and or or not even being able to label it. Mm-hmm. You know, I think so many people don't even know when they're angry. I remember, I remember talking to somebody. It wasn't all that long ago, and 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 it it was like a, it was like a cartoon in an intro um, therapist session, we're <laughs> <or> training. <laughs> session, is you know this person said literally. Said in a very loud, rough voice, "I am not angry." <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, I think you are
1: fantastic. How would you describe what you are? <laughs> <laughs> exactly.
0: So, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, tell me what you are, because you're
1: something. Yeah, <laughs> clearly, <laughs> it's you're a strong way you really talk.
0: Right, and so, so. And that I think that relates a lot to dog training because we do have, one of the things that I've run into a lot is it's not just expectations on our dogs, that our dogs are going to be the perfect, friendly cartoon dog or the dog out of the movie Lassie or whatever, but that we're going to be the perfect trainers. I see more and more and more pressure that people put onto themselves. Mm-hmm. They feel badly if their dog isn't behaving the way they feel or other people feel their dog should behave. Right. I've had people come, people who were really serious, say, agility competitors, and they got a rescue dog who'd never been out of a barn, and they've been trying to introduce this dog to agility for two years, and the dog is terrified there, and and their friends, and this is, I mean, I've had several clients like this, their friends are like, if you just tried hard enough and you just knew what you were doing, you could get your dog over this. And the person was just ragged with guilt. You know, what's wrong with me that I can't create a happy dog on an agility course? You know, and the answer is nothing. There's nothing wrong with you. I am never going to be a ballerina, Mm -hmm. you know, and I'm not going to feel bad and guilty about it. And neither is my mother. And, And that particular dog is never going to enjoy agility. It's a game. Don't worry about it. So do you see that do you see I see this rising expectations? I think maybe it's cultural because don't you don't you think that's true with parents as well yes. that that they feel more and more? I mean, my parents were basically very responsible people, but they didn't lay in bed at night every night planning the perfect day for us
1: yeah, yeah, I do think we're we're putting a lot more pressure to achieve in in certain areas mm. and it it's unfortunate mm. because I think. At the same time, we're seeing increases of stress in people that, you know, the rates of employee engagement have plummeted and people are, you know, the the onset of depression has dropped way lower. Like the average onset of depression now is, I, I believe I just read, 14 horrendous. and a half years old. That's insane. You know, it yeah. used to be that onset would be in the 30s. And so some um, of it is that we're kind of creating this picture in our head of what it is that we think is right or what we Mm -hmm. want it to be and Mm -hmm. and kind of what you just said about you know we're not giving ourselves permission to feel the way we feel we're so busy pursuing something that i think i think sometimes just accepting what is and feeling how you feel that's fine it's fine it's it's and it's it's it's
0: good, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, I would say, yes, it's fine, and it's actually something that we should aspire to.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, is just being aware. Oh, this is anger. Hello. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I've done some meditation, part of my healing from one of my messy background <laughs> that I write about in The Education of Will. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, part of, I did some... <laughs> work with a therapist who did, um, who does a lot of meditation. And, you know, part of what I learned is like, it's just to sort of label, not just label emotions, but think of them as they're not me, you know? So right. if I'm distressed, I am not distressed, but the emotion of distressed is sort of coursing through me like a cloud going over the, the moon, you know, or the exactly. sun or something. And, So, yeah, so I will be, you know, driving along going like, oh, hello, fear. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Hello. (laughs) How are you today?
1: (laughs) I learned an acronym for that that's been helpful to me, which is the three N's. You should notice, name, and navigate your emotions. Because so often we don't even realize we're having an emotion, and so, so noticing and then, okay, I'm having something. What am I having? Mm-hmm. Oh, hello, fear. <laughs> there it is. Mm-hmm. And so now make a plan. What will I do with this? So the notice name navigate um, it was helpful to me because it is so interesting how quickly you can spin into a situation. And then you realize, oh, whoops, I got something. swept away. <laughs> and
0: I think, you know, um, sort of circling back to dogs is one of the things we can do for dogs is to help them learn emotional uh, sort of how to modify and deal with emotional arousal. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of behavioral problems are related to arousal and emotional arousal. And, um, partly because they live in such a radically different world now, they, I think they have fewer chances to learn Mm -hmm. how to do that. Um, and I think that's one of the best things we can do for our dogs is, is, you know, my most troubled dog, Willie, um, who I've written a lot about, who had a lot of problems with emotional arousal. He was a very, very fearful dog, and he was a very high-energy and easily aroused dog. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of the things I taught him is I taught him to do a bow on cue, like a dog's play bow. Mm-hmm. Well, dogs, you know, they're a lot. We don't know exactly why dogs do that, but they do it during play often. Um Karen London, who's who's a PhD animal behaviorist, a colleague of mine, um, she and I have written a lot together. She and I both think that dogs do it as a way during play as a sort of dampening arousal. So it's, it's like a little break, you know, you'll mm-hmm. see dogs playing and they start spiraling up and up and up and up and getting more and more aroused, you know. A really healthy play, you'll see dogs stop and pause, and sometimes they'll just pause and stand there, and sometimes they'll pause and do a little play bow. It stretches the body. Um, so when Willie got in tense situations, I taught him to do a play bow, and he does it a lot himself now. Mm -hmm. It's like, that's sort of his self-regulating, you know? It's sort of his, like, you know, stand up and stretch. Yeah. (laughs) Um, and so, you know, helping dogs learn to, not spiral up into over arousal is something that we can and I think need to do with a lot of our dogs and it's not that hard if you know how to do it and if you do it early on you know you just interrupt two puppies who are playing and getting a little out of control and you just teach them to come away when you call and take a little breath and then go back to playing again you mm-hmm. know it's like you can anyway so so that whole you know that. A whole issue of there are emotions but then there's also level of, of physiological arousal that confounds and complicates and conflates those emotions. So you can be you know like a slow steam angry or you can be like angry I like have to do something right now. Right. You know, whether it's yeah. So so that's something I think that we all can continue to learn about both theoretically and personally is about about not just labeling emotions, and I love your three N's by the way, um, but also learning about how how emotional arousal affects them and how to modulate that.
1: Mm-hmm. It is interesting because it, it's so often, you know, the emotion will spin into something because of the arousal yeah. and, um, yes. you know, frustration yeah. turns into anger and And for me, that's a big one. Like, I get frustrated and I get frustrated again, and then I'm just ticked. And I just walk around being angry. And I'm like, wow, mostly you were just frustrated, and you didn't take a break when you needed to. Um,
0: Right, right.
1: Yes, yes. Why am I thinking about computers now? I I have
0: no idea. I just can't imagine why why wanting to throw the stapler across the room – Oh, right, yes. Wait, this sounds familiar.
1: <laughs> yeah. And so I think for all of us learning to deal with, you know, the emotional arousal piece, it's fantastic to be able to teach it to our dogs and to our children and to yes. ourselves. Um, because yes. to really recognize how often we get hooked, we don't think about it. In your um, In For the Love of a Dog, you, you had the line that, Often it's the changes in your body that create the thoughts in your mind. And you were just talking about the chemicals in your body and the neurotransmitters and the hormones. And I thought, this is so true because this this stuff is happening so fast inside us. We can't keep up. And then we're catching up sometimes with our thoughts. We don't know where they came from.
0: Yeah, it's sort of like being in a on a fast moving river. You know. Mm-hmm. You, you gotta you gotta have a raft to jump on pretty quick. Yeah. <laughs> you can get swept away pretty fast.
1: So if you were gonna give people advice just for, you know, being really conscious of the value of, of understanding their own emotions and their own emotional state, what would be a tip you'd have for them to to get better at that?
0: So being conscious of their own emotional mm-hmm. state?
1: Yeah, their own. Um
0: yeah, is is is? It's oh, going to sound circular, but but to do that, <laughs> how, how helpful was that? <laughs> it's just it, yeah, you know, because that really is all it is. It's just pausing for a microsecond. I mean, literally just pausing, um, and you can do it. You could just actually, I know, I know people who actually um, just suggest that you do it in a structured way just to get yourself started. Mm-hmm. So you set an alarm, right, you know, for every three hours. And, and you, you know, your alarm rings and you like, how am I feeling right now? You know, am mm-hmm. I sad, angry? And, you know, how am I? Um, and that can get you in the habit. Um, I don't know, what about you? What, what, what do you do to try or what have you done? Because you're obviously very attuned to your internal emotional state. What have you done?
1: Oh, no, you don't get to ask the questions. Only I get to ask the questions. <laughs> You're turning the tables here. Uh, I think I think it is pretty much what you've said. Uh, having a desire for the awareness has yeah. been the big thing because, you know, just for so long, you just sort of swept along doing what you do and thinking what you think. And mm-hmm. as I've as I've gotten older, I've really been searching for, you know, what are the things that bring me joy and contentment? And of course, dogs are a huge part of that, always have been. Um, but why is that? And so by by really thinking about who do I want to be and how do I want to be that person, that mm-hmm. awareness. Um, and then I, I also talk about with my kids, one of my big strategies was, a uh, well, that happened sort of debrief. So, oh, you pulled a gallon of milk out of the refrigerator, dropped it on the floor accidentally, and we had milk everywhere. Okay. Well, that happened. So what are the strategies we can have to not do that again? You know, that things go wrong. Things are always going to go wrong, but being willing to, to take a look in the rearview mirror and say, I'm not delighted with how that one turned out. And odds are I'm going to get a chance to practice this skill again. What would I like to do differently? <laughs> Can
0: I use that line for the rest of my life? <laughs> I mean, that's just so good. It's, you know, that happened. You know? It did.
1: It's true in it dog does. class, too. It we use it does. in our reactive dog class on occasion. We're like, whoops. Okay, so we were doing great until that exact moment. So what are we going to do the next time? Because there will be a next time, unfortunately, for uh, most of these things.
0: Right. And, you know, with our dogs, like you know, circling back to something we were talking about earlier is, it is so seductive to get your ego wrapped up into your dog's behavior, isn't it? Yes. And, um, you know, I compete in sheepdog trials. And and so um, I have a lot of reasons, like a lot of people do who compete in all kinds of things, from freestyle to agility to sheepdog trials, et cetera, you know, field dog trials, is it's extra easy to get sort of sucked up into you know if you're if you're doing a training session and things don't go well to be like oh you know i'm terrible i'm a disaster i don't mm-hmm. know what i'm doing and this is awful and you know being able to just say that happened mm-hmm. <laughs> and that and and that you know that circles back to Susan Friedman's work um of, you know, thinking from a really sort of, a, I call it progressive operant conditioning. Thinking, um, you know, not, not from an old fashioned point of view of like, emotions are irrelevant. We should never talk about emotions in animals, but, but from understanding how animals learn and how operant conditioning really works and basically taking this more objective viewpoint of this is not about me, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and, and in some ways, this, you know, and this is not necessarily about my dog's personality even, this is about the environment, the context, the behavior that I don't want, um, and the behavior that I do want, and figuring out how to get from one to the other, you know. Um, and it, it I would never want to take passion and love and emotion out of our relationship with animals because I am the gooeyest, soppiest <laughs> dog lover. I mean, I just just... You could start me crying in a microsecond talking about one of my dogs. I mean, I'm just disgustingly sloppy about it. But the fact is, is when I'm training, I am better if I try and look very logically um, and and take my ego and my needs you know, out mm-hmm. of the system into what's happening and what is the context in which it's happening and what do I want to happen. And it's, that's been such a... Such a godsend to me. It's ironic, isn't it? I mean, on the one hand, I'm saying that being able to read emotions in dogs and understand my own emotions has helped me profoundly in my relationship with dogs and as a dog trainer. Mm -hmm. At the same time, I'm saying being able to get rid of my emotions or eliminate the problematic ones when they're
1: just causing me harm, has also had the same profound effect. That's an interesting irony, isn't it? It's a very interesting irony, and it just kind of circles back to the whole people are complicated kind of thing, because both of those are very true. You know, they're absolutely true.
0: Yeah. I'm writing a note here because I... (laughs) I oh, that's an article coming on. Yes. Anyway. That'll um, be great.
1: So actually that leads in beautifully to the question of, as we wrap up here, um, how, would, how would listeners find out more about you and your work and your books? I'll, of course, put links in the show notes to all of your books and to your website, but can you share that verbally for the people who are not sitting at their computer when they listen?
0: Absolutely, yeah. Thank you for asking. I appreciate it. The the easiest way um way to connect with my work is to go to my website, which is simple. You just go to my name. It's patricia McConnell dot com, two Cs, two N's, two L's, patricia McConnell dot com. And that you can get to my blog from there, which is Um, one of the things that I love doing the most is an international village of 45,000 people who read it. And there's some great commenters on it. Yeah. And um, and you can learn about my, yeah, my books and, um, and, and when and where I'll be speaking. So that's the best place to go without question.
1: Excellent. So, um, I have one last quote from, you know, the genius Patricia McConnell that I'd like to share with you and tell you how I Don't think we could uh, we could um, apply it to people and let me know if you if you agree or have any thoughts on this. So this is from your book, For the Love of a Dog, and it's, okay. If we want to make dogs happy, I think the most useful emotion that we can convey to them is a sense of calm, peaceful benevolence interspersed with our own version of joyful exuberance during play. And I love that because I think that that's that spirit of I'm calm and joyful in your presence is a lovely way for us to show up in our interactions with other people as well. So, what are your mm. thoughts on that?
0: Hmm. You know, I've been in some conversations lately about the whole concept of leadership, mm-hmm. which some. People take to mean you need to, quote, dominate your dog and sort of have physical control over them at all times and not give them a lot of autonomy. No. And I think that's polluted that concept. It um, has. I, I think there is value in this concept of leader, but to me, what's valuable is exactly what you were just talking about, is is being a calm stable presence, mm-hmm. you know, we all know people like that, who they just walk in the room mm-hmm. and you just feel like, I want to be by this person, you know, that people who are comfortable in their own skin. Yep. And I think those are the people that dogs are often attracted to because they live in a pretty confusing world. I mean, they're trying to translate us all the time. They're desperately needing to socially connect with us and psychologically connect. And yet they don't know what the hell we're saying mm-hmm. most of it you know and so i think dogs and lots of animals um are attracted as we are also as humans to people like that and some people are just naturally like that i'm not um so that's something i aspire to be you know and i find myself getting closer and closer to that um certainly not at all times just ask my husband <laughs> but <laughs> But I think that's something for all of us to aspire to is, is in all of our relationships, whether it's with anybody, you know, whether Mm -hmm. it's with people or dogs or cats or horses or birds or I don't know, maybe even our houseplants. I don't know. Yeah. It's just, yeah. And I think for our own sakes, I mean, it's just so much easier to feel
1: well to feel comfortable in your own skin right you know yeah i thought the phrase the calm peaceful benevolence is a, is really a beautiful way of saying feeling comfortable in your own skin because yeah, the benevolence yeah. aspect of that is you know i mean you no harm you know you mean me no harm there's no no threats between us right and we need to be saying that to ourselves, because mm-hmm. don't you think we're so hard on ourselves? Oh, you know, yes. <laughs>
0: calm and peaceful and benevolent to ourselves is probably the place to start, yeah. although that's the hardest place that's to the go, hardest place. That's,
1: <laughs> that's Brene Brown's job, is to draw that's us all right. in that direction. We'll just keep listening to her. Yes. <laughs> So I've loved talking to you today. I'm so appreciative that you took some time to talk to me and to our listeners here about dogs and people and sharing emotions. It's been a blast. It's been
0: wonderful. It's absolutely been my pleasure. Thanks for asking me.
1: So what do you think? Are you ready to be Unleashed? Ready to open up and fully become the amazing person your dog knows you to be? Subscribe to Unleashed. And please visit colleenpilar.com/itunes to leave a review. It helps new listeners find us, and my dog gets an extra treat for each new review. Say thank you, Edzo. <coughs>